0: Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. This is the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. And I am your host, Ryan Denlevy, joined once again by Rob Dunham.
1: How you doing, everybody? This is not the eye chart you're looking for. (laughs) Uh, Just imagine me scrolling up here.
0: Yes, if you can't (laughs) see (laughs) that, that's Rob standing up to uh, scroll, as it were, along his iChart slash Star Wars t-shirt.
1: Yes, very fitting to how the movies go.
0: All right. Well, we've got a big show in store for you today. Uh, We're going to talk about Shang-Chi, breaking some box office records, having a big weekend over, over Labor Day weekend. Uh, we'll talk about the box office, we'll talk about some stuff that's upcoming, we'll do our official Shang-Chi review, uh, we will discuss which movie characters would win in a fight with other movie characters, just for the fun of it, and of course, we'll do our watch list. All right, Rob, you ready to get started?
1: Yes. In the movie, did he not say it's Shang-Chi? Because uh, he said it was like Sean. But with a G. So I think it's Shong.
0: Whatever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's what the fine. main character said his name was, so I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> yeah, if
0: you want to, go for it. how <laughs> about it. That's fine. Whatever.
1: You your name from Sean to Shong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a great line. That was a great line. That was line. a good line. Yeah. All right, good spoiler, line. spoiler alert. Anyway.
0: Mm-hmm yeah Mm -hmm. giving away the big big points right up front that was the
1: the biggest part of the whole movie i just (laughs) ruined it for everyone sorry guys yes
0: all right um anyway to the data uh the movie whatever you want to call his name and the 10 (laughs) rings uh had a big box office weekend and not just a big box office weekend during the pandemic it had a big box office weekend for any film on Labor Day weekend. Labor Day weekend is traditionally known as not a great weekend for movies. And this one proved that to be wrong. So the film for four days opened up at ninety four point four million. That is uh, the biggest release on the weekend since the pandemic. Now, of course, it had the Monday of Labor Day to tack on. I think it did something like 75 million over the traditional weekend, but it had very, very strong sales on Labor Day. And this is good. This is really good. Uh, It did better than expected. And it beat the, uh, the previous record was 2007 Halloween at 30.6 million. That seems really low.
1: tripled the record. It didn't beat the record. It destroyed it. I
0: I just, I I mean, I wouldn't have thought that, I thought Labor Day would still have been a good weekend. This kind of really surprised me that the record was Halloween in 2007 at 30.6
1: million. Well, it just points out to you how big the summer usually is for movies, like uh, June, July, even like middle of May through June through July through August. And then that's like when all the major movies have been coming out lately. And then some, some in like uh, the Christmas area Mm -hmm. too has also been a tentpole spot.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So this leads to several conclusions. One, one of the things that we, we have talked about for weeks on the show is the effect that streaming had on the box office and how much that's curtailing box office revenues, especially in weeks two, three, and four. Uh, But this film, Disney correctly decided not to release it on streaming. It's gonna be theater only for the first 45 days. And Rob, I think that's showing that that was a good move.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, I think the true test of that will be what it does in the second week. Mm -hmm. here i know when i went and saw it on sunday the theater was probably i want to say like 60 70 percent full and uh got this is the first time i think i've been at a movie since the pandemic started there was clapping at the end (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it's been a while since i heard that
0: Mm -hmm. so we'll save our actual review of the movie till later uh but is i think there's several factors here one it was in theaters only. Two, it was actually a good movie. Three, it was a big enough release that people wanted to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those, that combination of factors really made the difference. And this uh, has made 145 million internationally, and that doesn't include China because it doesn't have a release date in China at this moment, which is, uh, which is a good, good figure for a movie of this kind.
1: I mean, you also, like I said I said last week, I don't think you can discount the the uh, Asian-American market um, because there hasn't been a Marvel superhero movie centered around uh, an Asian-American. And uh, well, Shang-Chi himself, Seema Lee, is a Canadian,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Asian-Canadian man. Um, but just like it, it reminds me a little bit of um, how Black Panther was received in the same way. Like people have been waiting for this kind of thing. So,
0: see, maybe, maybe I'm not convinced that it was that huge of a factor. I mean, I don't know, but um, I think I think the fact that they made a good movie and people wanted to see it, and it was a new character. See, I maybe I one of the things I'm thinking I for me is I underestimated the value of a new Marvel character. This is not this is this is something I've been contemplating. Is I thought maybe people would not be as interested because this is a new Marvel character.
1: Right. Maybe I, was, I was wrong. The same kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Maybe I was wrong on that front, and people were like, Well, we've seen all the other guys a million times. Give us a new one.
1: Right. Yeah. I was feeling that, and I was also kind of feeling that watching the trailers for the the uh upcoming Marvel movies that are coming out that before the movie started.
0: Yeah. Eternals actually looks better than i had anticipated yeah um i was not particularly compelled when i you know i read kind of the the backdrop of that mm-hmm. the trailer looked better than i thought it would so yeah i'm
1: very interested in what they do with that it's got mm-hmm. a lot of potential.
0: yeah uh, and i think i mean we'll, it's yeah. Well, I'll just have to save some of it to when we actually get into talking about the movie Mm because I keep wanting to get into something on that. But, uh, but, but the basics of it is it had a great debut, and um, I think uh, I I think this bodes well. I think if anything, you know, we we were wondering if if anything is going to be the market setter or the trendsetter. I think this this proved that the theaters, if you have a big release and it's a good movie, will survive. I think this bodes really, really well for Bond when it comes out next month, mm-hmm. um, that you're going to see pretty big numbers for Bond. OK. Yes, well, certainly hope so. Yeah. Um, the next, uh, the remaining, I'll just fill out the remaining of the top four. And Candyman made $10.3 million, which is a very, very solid showing in week two for Candyman. Free Guy still rolling in 8.9 million. That one's getting closer to 100 million domestically. And Jungle Cruise, 4 million. Jungle Cruise is hanging in there. I mean, it's not doing huge numbers, but it's hanging in at like the 4 or 5 million every single week. Um, It's been around for a while now. It's uh, it's an impressive showing for Jungle Cruise. All right, so that's uh, last week's results of the box office. This week, we have a few new releases coming out. And um, let's, uh, let's get into those a little bit. So the first one, we have the card counter. The card counter starting Oscar Isaac, Tiffany Hadish, Ty Sherrington, Willem Dafoe. And it is redemption in the long game in Paul Schrader's The Card Counter. Told with Schrader's trademark, cinematic intensity, the revenge thriller tells the story of an ex-military interrogator turned gambler hunted by the ghosts of his past. Um, so this is another kind of like, you know, card thriller type game. Uh, and uh, interesting interesting cast and interesting uh, movie. Then you have Malignant. And Malignant... Let see if I can pull it up here. I uh, type. It's, Madison is paralyzed by shocking visions of grisly murders, and her torment worsens as she discovers that these walking dreams are, in fact, terrifying realities. So you've got another horror movie coming out, and that's uh, Annabelle Wallace, Maddie Hansen, George Young. So a relatively unknown cast. And then the last one, which I included here, is The Alpinist, which is a documentary uh, film about Marc-André Leclerc, as uh, cameras follow him as he uh, climbs in Patagonia. He's a solo climber who's known for uh, his kind of doing things on his own, and it's an interesting documentary about solo climbing and what is in fact possible. Uh, so Rob what intrigues you this weekend
1: so the card counter is definitely the one that I'm most interested in mainly because I really like Oscar Isaac and think he's mm-hmm. a really good actor yeah so I am I'm, I'm, and I like cards because I like playing poker <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'll, I'll there like I'll definitely be seeing this movie because it has a lot that intrigues me about mm-hmm. it I can't say that I have seen much of Paul Schrader's work to verify the cinematic intensity that the reviewer playing <laughs> he has, but I guess I'll find out when I watch this movie.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. I hear you. Um, for me, I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to go with the alpinist. I mean, I, I'm intrigued about the uh, the card counter as well and, well, and we'll probably go see it, but I am obsessed with with like alpine climbing. I love it. I think it's a fantastic. I've watched all the documentaries on, you know, Everest and K2 and all those, all those climbing shows and, and all the movies about that. I love it. I can't get enough about it. So I'm intrigued by this just because I'm curious to see what this is all about. And if this is, uh, another to add to the pantheon of, of good climbing series and movies. Uh, so this, that one really intrigues me. Not so much for the, uh, for malignant, but you know, that's just my. Yeah, I
1: went and saw my scary movie in the theater this week, so
0: okay, good time. <laughs> so that's what we got coming up in theaters. Um, so obviously, uh, Shang Chi, uh, Candyman, Free Guy, all those stuff are still out in theaters, and we've got a new slate that we added in this week. So one final news item we want to bring up, and that is uh, Venom. Uh, It was announced this week that Venom is moving up in the calendar dates. Yes, Venom is actually going to be released earlier than anticipated. It will be in theaters October 1st as opposed to October 15th. I'm pretty sure that's illegal. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, you know, every movie can't just be backed up 10,000 times? Right. You're allowed to actually move them up?
1: Yeah, that's crazy.
0: Uh, so this is interesting, and um, I think this is a little bit on the heels of the great uh, of the great week for uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I think this is partially a response to that, um, but it's pretty interesting. I, I like the fact that it's moving ahead, that it's moving forward. Uh, the first Venom movie did surprisingly well and was actually. I was really surprised because I was not interested in when it came out, but I was surprised at how good it actually was. Uh, so, this has been kind of a highly anticipated movie. And I am, uh, I'm glad that it's coming out. Now, this is one of several moves. Obviously, last week we reported on Paramount pushing back both Tom Cruise movies, both Top Gun and Mission Impossible. So, Rob, I'm wondering Venom gets moved up. Shang-Chi has a great opening weekend. Uh, Paramount looks kind of bad on this front, don't you think?
1: I think you could make that argument, but I also think that it is difficult to know for sure if it's gonna be as successful because I think that there's a lot about Shang-Chi that was like a perfect storm that made people want to go out to the movies. And I think part of that also might be the fact it was a holiday weekend. Mm -hmm. Now, granted Labor Day weekend hasn't been super um, profitable before, but it also hasn't had super major releases like on it before. So the question is, are people going to want to go out just on a regular weekend to see a movie? And I'm not sure. I'm just, I, I don't know if they made the wrong decision, but it's, you know, it's, it's hard to argue against what Chi did. I guess we'll really have to see what Venom does. Yeah. Because if Venom does really well, then you've got, like, more evidence, I think, to back that up.
0: For me, I'm not as ambiguous. They made the wrong call. I said it last <laughs> week. I said it again this week. They made the wrong call. Uh, and I think, like, how long have people been waiting for the release of Top Gun? I mean... Mm-hmm you know if there's a movie people are going to want to see it's the new top gun it's and and i just i just think that is a movie people are going to want to go see it has name recognition um what we didn't know about shang chi was whether that character would be interesting or whether that movie would be good obviously it had the marvel name attached to it so that was definitely going to bring people to the theaters i think the top gun name would have be would have done the same thing um so i think it's interesting though that they zigged when the theater that right that following weekend zagged and mm-hmm. and being able to have uh sony push up its release for venom it will be interesting to see what venom does um it will be interesting to see what that what that leads to i for me i'm not convinced that venom is on the same level as um, as one of your marvel movies um i think the next real big indicator will be um will be bond uh but you know it won't be that long till the next marvel movie too so yeah we'll see
1: yeah i would agree i don't think venom is quite there in the same Um, stratosphere as marvel movies are
0: yeah but we'll see i think it's i think there's a chance it'll have a good release um yeah all right so let's move on to our discussion and we'll begin our discussion with our actual review of shang chi and the legend of the ten rings uh, so we'll start out like we do with our big breakdowns of movies. We'll start out with the general thoughts, what we liked, what, and uh, and what you can expect in the theaters, or if you haven't seen it. Uh, and then we will get on to the specifics where we'll get into spoilers and such. All right, Rob, I will give you first crack at it. Uh, Shang-Chi, let me ask you this question. Um, Meet, exceed expectations below expectations? I'm guessing it's not below, but did it meet or exceed your expectations?
1: I would say that it um, pretty comfortably exceeded my expectations. Cause I, didn't, I don't think I really had that high of expectations mm-hmm. going into seeing it. Cause I just didn't know much about it. Yeah. So um, I thought that overall, the way it was shot was very pleasing, especially when you consider um, the fight scenes which i don't think is like getting into spoilers really because mm-hmm. i'm not going to talk about specifics of the fight scenes but the way they were yeah. shot there's a lot of long shot one shot kind of action um if you think about like john wick style a little bit mm-hmm. that actually showed you the fighting happening and not um so it was not liam neeson fight scenes <laughs> <laughs> there's like 40 cuts in uh in uh the two minutes so I, I thought that was really impressive, and it also was kind of, um, kind of like a nod to uh, the action, uh, like action martial arts movies, uh-huh. that it it played off that a little bit, which I thought was really a pretty cool thing, and I thought the humor overall was pretty good. I know some people had an issue with Aquafina's character being Aquafina, but that's what Aquafina is. So. She's going to be in your movie. You know what you're going to get.
0: Yeah, you do. <laughs>
1: yeah, you do. So my general thoughts overall, um, I thought that it was really well done. I thought maybe some of the CGI, especially in the um, major fight at the end, maybe was a little lacking, but I I can't really, that doesn't didn't ruin the movie by any stretch to me. I thought the story was really good. And yeah, um, Shang-Chi's character is is a compelling character. And I think the biggest thing you want to ask yourself when you finish watching a superhero origin story is, do you want to see that character again? Mm-hmm. And I think with uh, Shang-Chi, the answer is the resounding yes. I want to see more of what he does. I want to see how he teams up with people. I want to see how he's effective, you know, how he's used, because there's definitely some intrigue around his character.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say strengths for me, it exceeded expectations. I likewise did not have major expectations. Um, I, I liked it. I thought it was quite good. I, I was not as high on it as some other people were, which we can talk about a little bit when we get into uh, the specifics, but it was it was quite good. It was entertaining. I agree with you on the action sequence, especially the early fight scenes. The early fight scenes I thought were very, very compelling and and well shot, uh, well, I guess acted is the right word for, for fight scenes. Um, and, and interesting, they were, Sometimes you can have it where a fight scene just goes on and on and you, and you just kind of get a little bored with it. You're like, okay, where are we going with this? But they were, they, they kept your attention the whole way through and it felt like it was still moving the story forward, uh, even through the fight sequences. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they were excellent. Uh, The chemistry with the cast was good. Now we can get into, I'll get into Aquafina later, but, uh, (laughs) but the cast, the cast definitely had chemistry. And and they interacted well with each other. Um, there was, there was uh, some later fight sequences that I, I, I enjoyed. I liked the initial visuals of the sequences towards the end. Mm-hmm. So I thought some of the some of the CG was good. Um, some of it eh, some some of it lacked a little bit. Um, but yes, I think when answering your question, do I want to see this character again after having watched this movie? Definitely, absolutely. Um, one thing I would say to, uh, to watch for is uh, the development of this character as mm-hmm. he goes forward. Um, it, was, it was interesting how they did um, his care, his, his origins and his plot throughout the movie. Um, so, pay attention to that when you see the movie. Uh, anything else to say before we head out to the spoiler land?
1: I think that's pretty good. Broad right. over there.
0: Excellent. So, this is your spoiler warning. We are now going to talk in depth details about Shang-Chi, where we will give away parts of the movie. Uh, you can skip ahead to the next segment of the podcast. Uh, Just check out in the description. It'll tell you how far to skip ahead. So this is your spoiler warning. All right, Rob, let's get into it. Let's get the specifics. Um, What stood out to you in terms of a, um, is there a specific scene or a specific thing that stood out to you as the strength of the movie?
1: Hmm. I think I just I just really uh, enjoyed I would say the dynamic between the characters. You already mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think he and he and his sister had a good dynamic. He and his father had a good dynamic. Uh, there was depth to that. It wasn't just my dad's a bad person. Like mm-hmm. there was, and it, what I really liked was the movie started out kind of with that idea Mm -hmm. that like his dad is just a bad person. But like it developed it and humanized him some and you went from hating him to kind of feeling sympathy for him, I guess. Um, It didn't make the decisions he made correct, but it made a lot more sense as the movie went on why he was acting the way he was and what was happening. Mm-hmm. and I think really helped elevate uh, Shang-Chi's character too because it gave you an idea of the background where he was coming from and why he was struggling with the things he wasn't dealing with the things he was. Um, I also really, 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 really enjoyed Ben Kingsley being back. Because <laughs> 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 I, was, I was not expecting that and that was fantastic because when uh, for you, those of you who do not know Ben Kingsley in the Iron Man series, Iron Man Two, correct? Yes. I think I think it's Iron Man Two. Um, played the Mandarin. Might have been three. Uh, played three. the Mandarin. Three. Yeah. Okay, it was three. Played the Mandarin, who was uh, supposedly the figurehead for the Ten Rings, which this movie is about the Ten Rings organization and it turns out that shang chi's father has kidnapped him and he's like a prisoner in the house and they open (laughs) they open the one cell or whatever and he's just there and i oh man i lost it like he's just performing shakespeare and he's like i'm trevor and he thinks that he has an imaginary friend but it's actually real and uh yeah i thought i thought his character added some really good humor Throughout the movie, and Ben Kingsley is just a really good actor, so it was good to see more of him in that character.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I think the the standouts for the movie were, in fact, um, were two things. One, I will highlight two specific action sequences. Uh, the bus action sequence I thought was fantastic because you don't know you don't know anything about his character having any sort of ability or anything until that bus sequence. And then all of a sudden the bus sequence happens. Somebody gets in his face and he starts kicking butt and doing all the martial arts stuff. Uh, So I thought that was an excellent way to introduce, Oh, okay. There's more to this character than meets the eye. Um, But the way it was structured and the way they, the way they set it up, especially with, you know, and with, katie played by aquafina being like what is happening how do you know this what's going on and that kind of interplay between her trying to figure out who he is him trying to give her instructions him trying to beat guys up and the way they played that off with the bus was really really strong mm-hmm. and then the uh the action sequence uh later in the movie with uh him and his sister where they're out on the uh on the the lattice work outside the building on the um The uh, frame,
1: yeah, it's like the construction piling. Yeah, the construction frame, bamboo piling construction apparatus that you see in a lot of martial arts movies. It Mm -hmm. seems
0: classic Asian martial arts movies jumping through uh, the bamboo sequences. I'm thinking Rush Hour Two had a good, uh, Mm -hmm. a good bamboo building uh, martial arts sequence. It just makes for great visual effect, and I thought they, I thought they used that to full advantage. Um, and the cameos were great in this one too. Uh, you already mentioned Ben Kingsley. Um, I think it was Benedict Wong who, uh, mm-hmm. from, uh, from the, uh, Doctor Strange. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, was, was interesting in that movie as well. Uh, mm-hmm. he had fun, he had some fun things, uh, that were really cool. Uh, but I think the other standout was uh, that kind of triumvirate between the father, Shang-Chi, and his sister. That dynamic between the three of them and how it played out was really well done. And you mentioned, like, he wasn't just a... The father was not just a typical bad guy. They did give him... They did give him uh, an explanatory backstory that made sense. You know? And, and he was a little bit... He was much more of a round character um was there anything that you didn't like about
1: the movie um i don't hate aquafina so i know some people do i guess some of the humor wasn't amazing but i'm i'm like i guess i'm used to it (laughs) (laughs) um i would say like i guess that that would be if you want to say there's a weakness that's probably it i just don't think it's a massive weakness um I just know it's not everyone's like, it's not everyone's style. So I get that. Um, I, I I just think overall it was really well done. Like I said, the only, and I said this in the non-spoiler review, the only thing that really stood out to me was some of the CGI and some of the sequences, but it, it it's not like it was awful. Mm. So the, I thought just in general, the movie was well made. So I don't have a lot. I don't have a lot to be frustrated about when it comes to it. So,
0: mm-hmm. um, for me, I thought the there were two. There were two specific weak elements for me. Um, one was I didn't fully buy into uh, Sean, the character of mm-hmm. Sean at the beginning of the movie, like the I'm just hiding out you know, I'm running away from my past. I don't think that that really got pulled off as well as it could have. Like you, I didn't get the super sense that he was just a guy hanging out, hiding out, avoiding his past. Like they kind of implied he was. Um, I just didn't think that that resonated as well as it could have. Um, it wasn't as believable uh, the way they ended up laying it out because they did it with significant more significant more amount of humor in the beginning yeah. they really had the humor piled on thick uh, which didn't quite which didn't quite make sense with the guy who's just hiding out avoiding his past um being a little bit of a slacker i just didn't buy into it completely so mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't terrible by any sense but i just I didn't i didn't quite buy that
1: um, i think that's valid I
0: think I you got a criticism there, mm-hmm. but uh, and and for me and I can see Aquafina is a is a divisive figure.
1: Awkward Fina.
0: I just I just find her annoying. You know <laughs> I do. I just find her annoying, and it's one of those where she is what she is, and you're either gonna like her or you're not gonna like her. So if you have her in your movie, you like you said, you know what you're gonna get. She's gonna play that character. And for me, I've never really been compelled by it and I just kind of find her a little bit of annoying. That yeah. being said, like she didn't destroy the movie for me,
1: right.
0: And and she's not so ridiculous that that you can't enjoy it or that you can't appreciate her character on some level.
1: I, mean, I just, also did. She also did pull off some mm-hmm. like meaningful serious yeah moments in the movie too. It the interaction old. with
0: her and the archer like the old archer mm-hmm. uh, were were quite good and and actually were compelling and you actually felt for it it felt for especially when the old archer ends up dying like you feel that you you felt for that and that connection between the two of them. I thought she did a good job acting on that part. Uh, It's just her stick just doesn't appeal to me that much. But yeah, so overall, though, not too bad. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, So what else? What else? Anything else that you haven't gotten a chance to comment on, Shang-T?
1: Just that I'm interested in where it goes from here because the, the Stinger at the end shows them, like, rebuilding the Ten Rings, so I'm wondering where that goes, you know, and also the connection with Doctor Strange, wondering where that goes, I'm just, the I think that's the main thing for me, same thing with Black Widow, like, seeing these characters and wanting to see more of them, wondering how that's going to happen, like, where they're going to be, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and tying that in with the characters they tied it in with is, is, is fascinating, too. Um, I, am, I, I am intrigued by the fact that it seems as though they're setting uh, his sister up as a potential nemesis character, mm-hmm. which, which is interesting, because that would be, um, no, it's not, they didn't officially go there but there was, there was some sort of implication because he says that his sister went to shut down his father's organization mm-hmm. and then you see her and she's actually like operating his organization. Yeah. Um, so that would be very similar to what Marvel did with Thor and Loki. Mm-hmm. Although Loki was a more traditional bad character uh, from the beginning, whereas his sister was not portrayed necessarily as the, the villain in this movie. Uh, but that could make for some intrigue right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think they're off to a good start with this, uh, with this character. And being the pretty much the first new character introduced since the, the last wave of Marvel ended, I think this, uh, this bodes for a good start for Marvel. And uh, next up will be the Eternals. And we'll see if they can carry the, carry the torch on. All right. So that was that discussion. Uh, now let's move on to something a little bit more fun and wacky. Let's, uh, let's talk about who would win a fight between movie characters. So I've picked out uh, uh, several movie characters and I picked them so that they would kind of pair off against each other. And they come from similar genres and similar uh, movie characters. And, and let's let's have some fun with this. So I will give you the three pairs that we're gonna talk about up front and then we'll break them down. All right, so the first fight, John McClane from the Die Hard series versus Martin Riggs, Mel Gibson's character from Lethal Weapon. Some classic 80s cop movies. Uh, which of those characters would win? Second, we'll go with the, uh, the spy genre. And we'll put Ethan Hunt up against James Bond. And our final pairing will be Beatrix Kiddo from the Kill Bill movies versus Lorraine Broughton, uh, the star of Atomic Blonde, played by Charlize Theron. So Rob, let's get started with the 80s cop movies. John McClane versus Martin Riggs. What do you got for me? Who would win between John McClane and Martin Riggs?
1: I mean, to me, this is an easy one because Martin Riggs is just a whiny emo boy. (laughs) He's like me, but a cop. And uh, uh, John McClane is just a tough, take no prisoners SOB. And I think John McClane would uh, manhandle Martin Riggs personally. (laughs) Martin Riggs is out there feeling sorry for himself in his trailer and John McClane will just come knock his door down and punch him in the face, tell him to grow up probably, I think.
0: Yeah, I think you're probably right. Although you never under want to underestimate him, and Martin Riggs might uh, whip out, you know, pistol whip somebody, and then we'll yeah, true, fair, fair. You know, then we'll maybe we'll we'll level the play field a little bit. I mean, John McClain definitely has the grit, mm. but you never know. The annoyance factor for Martin Riggs might carry might carry him over a little bit. You might annoy John McClain
1: so much that he gets thrown off of his game. He only hit on John McClane's daughter enough that John uh, McClane wants to murder him, unlike <laughs> his partner, and <laughs> the weapon, apparently, who just doesn't even notice. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think, I mean, also, you can't underestimate the mullet power. Motor power is strong with Martin Riggs and, and not so much with John McClain. Maybe if
1: this fight was happening in an ice hockey rink, perhaps Martin Riggs would have a better chance with us.
0: Yeah. And we also have to factor in as to when the fight is going to occur. If the fight occurs after John McClain has been walking across uh, all the glass and his feet are all busted yeah.
1: up, that might yeah. level the playing field a little bit more. True. Well, it's in if it's in an air vent, John McClain is going to absolutely destroy him now. So, this
0: is this is true. Air vent mm-hmm. fights, I mean, that the advantage very much on the John McClain end of this, this spectrum. Yeah. yeah, I would also give if we're going to do one liner quotes, uh, at the beginning of fights or in mid mm-hmm. rounds of who's going to yeah. talk the best trash game, that's got to go to John McClain.
1: Yeah,
0: I think John McClain definitely has the trash game going for him.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I got
0: to agree with that. Yeah. All right. So I, th- I think we can safely say that John McClain wraps that one up. All right. So next one, next one, I think might be a little tougher. Ethan Hunt versus James Bond. Who you got?
1: See, this one is difficult to me because I don't think it it is not really Ethan Hunt versus James Bond. It's MI6 versus uh, IMF. So what, is, what do they call themselves? Is that right? Yeah, IMF. Mm-hmm. Okay because both of these characters succeed in a large way because of the tools at their disposal. It's not... Uh, I, I think Daniel Craig's version of James Bond has maybe been a little more um, hand-to-hand combat mm-hmm. especially in the beginning of Casino Royale. Um, like the black and white sequence of that, he absolutely just is annihilating somebody, which had not been something we'd really seen from James Bond before, so that was like kind of a shock to the system. Yeah. Um, but I think that i i still think that uh james bond probably has better tools at his disposal
0: Mm.
1: and he has like every movie has a vehicle with like insane (laughs) capability to destroy someone physically and mentally and emotionally so i feel like james bond (laughs) i feel like james bond would win um but if it was a stunt battle then um ethan hunt would probably win
0: Yeah. So, so this is this is where I'll, this is how I'll frame it with this one. I think one of the characteristics of Ethan Hunt is he always he always thinks through his problems first. Like he always has a plan going in. So he is going to be a more of a long range thinker. He's going to have a plan as as James Bond is coming at him. He's going to have a plan as to what to do, how he's going to strategize this, and he's going to have some sort of way to work it out. Uh, bond is just going to rush him and start punching so i think you're going to get from a bond perspective you're just going to get the flat out chase and see if he can just beat you down before you can execute a plan the question mm-hmm. is does ethan hunt have enough of a plan in order to deal with james bond now i would i would say that both of them deal with their fair amount of luck however ethan hunt's luck tends to be the kind of him being able to uh, take a huge pounding Mm -hmm. and still keep going. I think that is one advantage he has is that he is used to getting pounded, getting beat up, getting abused, and somehow at the end, finding a way to come out on top. So I think that is one thing where I would just give him a little bit of an edge on Bond. I think he'll think through the problem a little bit more, and Bond will be significantly more impulsive. So you you combine the plan of Ethan Hunt with his ability to survive huge amounts of punishment, and I think he has a slight edge on Bond.
1: Well, you also have to remember the famous phrase that everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face by James Bond, played by Daniel Craig. (laughs) That's the full quote.
0: Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Indeed. Yes. So that's the question is is the bull rush style of James Bond enough to throw Ethan Hunt off his game? I'm gonna say no
1: on this one. I think James Bond would get Ethan Hunt into some like exotic locations that he would not be prepared for and Mm -hmm. not be able to plan accurately for, and then James Bond will take care of business personally.
0: Yeah, I see, but this is one of Ethan Hunt's strengths, is not only the plan, but the ability to adapt quickly.
1: But he also has, yeah, and, and that also goes back to his team, that he has people who can mm-hmm. help him see things that he might not necessarily see himself right away. Yes. And I think that that, that may be a strength for him if we're going to talk about the fight, because uh, James Bond's character in different iterations has tended to be a loner at times. hmm he has all this stuff but he doesn't like the strictures sometimes of the organization around him
0: yeah and i will say all ethan hunt would have to do though is bring is bring a you know a crowd of attractive females around and bond is (laughs) done. he's going to be distracted (laughs) you know ethan hunt ethan hunt you know you know he's got he's got his couple of long-term relationship women And he's he's content with that, that you cannot say that about Bond. So I think the distraction element with the females might might be a swaying.
1: Especially if we're talking about sexual misogyny, 1960s James Bond, who was (laughs) rewatching those movies and realizing what a terrible person he was.
0: (laughs) 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 All right. Speaking of females, our last our last duo that are going to square off is a bunch of crazy action heroes. Uh, we have Beatrix Kiddo played by Uma Thurman in the films Kill Bill, uh, who goes on bloody revenge, uh, destroying her former colleagues in uh, in the assassin business after they tried to kill her. Or Lorraine Broughton, who uh, is a secret agent uh, And in the movie Atomic Blonde as she's trying to work through an incredibly complex maze during the fall of the Berlin Wall in which, uh, let's face it, she takes quite a bit of punishment in that movie. Mm -hmm. So both of these characters are uh, very strong characters because both of them take a tremendous amount of beating in their respective movies and both of them dish out just a lot of punishment so who you got you got beatrix kiddo or you got lorraine Braun?
1: i've got helen mirren in red um <laughs> <laughs> because i think she has all the insight and knowledge and would just run laps around these people but uh in, in this fight i've, I've got to go with the uh the sword wielder because that's just the cooler weapon and i want to mm-hmm. see how to get chopped off so um Uh, The one thing that uh, Lorraine has in her favor, she takes more punishment in that movie and is more resilient than probably almost any action character, male or female in any movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's hard to take punishment if your head just got cut off with a sword. (laughs) So I think I'm going with uh, Beatrix on this one.
0: Mm. What's interesting to me is obviously both of them are extremely dangerous. The question for me is, what happens when Beatrix Kiddo is not motivated by an insane, insatiable sense for revenge? Because if she's fighting Lorraine Broughton, Lorraine Broughton didn't try to kill her, mm-hmm. or didn't, you know, kill her and destroy her child. So she thinks. So what 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 is her skill set like? I mean, obviously, it's still extensive. But is she motivated to get over the top on this one like she is in the Kill Bill films? If you remove revenge from her. Um, So Beatrix has has the incredible sword connection and Lorene Broughton is just raw guts, like raw physical guts, Um, hitting, punching, kicking, being able to take a huge beating Um. I think it boils down to who gets the weapon first, who gets a weapon first. If you're doing hand to hand, then I think it's pretty much a toss up. But if one of them gets a weapon first, especially a weapon of their choice, um, if Beatrix ends up with a weapon or ends up with a sword in any way, shape or form, she takes it. Uh, So I'm going to lean a little bit more towards Beatrix Kiddo in this case. I agree. All right. All right. So that was our discussion elements for, the, for today. If you have any more suggestions on which characters we can decide if they'll win fights or not, then uh, you can send them our way and maybe we'll do this again later. Uh, so now let's go on to our watch list. All right, Rob, what did you watch this week?
1: So I watched uh, Shang-Chi obviously, and then huh? I watched um, Candyman also. So I watched the two highest grossing movies this week apparently. Okay. And uh, I really enjoyed Candyman. I, I don't go to a lot of uh, scary movies. I went with my sister to go see this movie. And uh, it, was, it was more enjoyable to be watching it with somebody, I think, than I would have by myself. Um, but overall, it was just a really well done movie. I'm not surprised it's, it's doing well because it's very well shot. It's intriguing. It's suspenseful. I would not call it like super scary. Mm. I would call it like unsettling, maybe mm. disturbing. Okay. Um, there's certainly blood and violence and things in it, but it's not. It's not uh, just like torture for torture's sake. Like there's a reason behind uh, it. I would. There's one scene in particular I really liked where they're um, in a bathroom, a high school girl's bathroom, and they say Candyman to the mirror five times supposed to make him appear and people are stupid and they go to get out the door and it's locked and the uh, so this character only shows up in mirrors so the one girl is holding like a compact mirror as they're trying to get out the door and she sees him in the reflection she ends up dropping the mirror and then it the shot comes down like through the stall underneath and you see the action happen in the mirror like it's zoomed in, in on the mirror in the floor and you see the action happen in it at an angle. And it's just like a really it was really creative. And I thought in general that it was pretty much true for most of the movie that it was uh, creatively done. Um, I was I was impressed by it. So I'm sure we'll see more of that in the future. Cool. Excellent. Excellent. Um, for me, I also saw strong
0: T obviously, but I, uh, I watched Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. I finished the book, and so then I rewatched the movie. Uh, what strikes me about this one is I think this might be the one where there was the most divergence uh, between the book and the movie, uh, both from how specific characters played out and um, who did what. Um, all of them were relatively minor in terms of their impact. Like it was just one character. Uh, instead of having this character uh, introduce this, then it's a different character. Or um, they just they switched a lot of little things around it, around mm-hmm. that made it different. Obviously, the book is significantly longer when we come to the Half Blood Prince. Uh, so, they did have to do some things to shorten it or to change it up. Uh, one thing I will say that they did better in the movie than they did in the book uh, was I think they did a better job of um, playing up the interaction, like the burgeoning romance between uh, Harry and uh, Ginny Weasley, um, because they just had to kind of describe Harry's feelings occasionally in the book. Whereas in the movie, they were able to show little glances, little looks, little lingering Mm -hmm. things. So, and they, and they did it for a longer sequence throughout the movie. They layered it in better uh, throughout the movie than they did with the book. At the book, he just kind of shows up and one day he starts thinking about it. It's, it just, it's, I just think they did an excellent job with that aspect of the movie as compared to the book. The one thing I would say that's the most negative is uh The explanation of the half-blood prince uh leaves a lot to be desired in the movie and who he is and where that you know the explanation of of how they determine who the half-blood prince was Mm -hmm. and i think was left a lot to be desired in the movie as opposed to what they did in the book um but it really i mean this movie really really does a great job of ramping up the the action, the drama, the suspense. This is the movie that really, really takes that to the next level and um, is a great setup, which is why it ends up being one of my favorite movies of the series. Awesome. All right, so let's, uh, let's close out by recommending a movie. So I'm going to go with a historical drama. Recommend a historical drama for the people.
1: Uh, so... There, are, This is one of my favorite genres, so there's a lot to choose from.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, I will say that mine, it, it takes a bit of license with the historical uh, word in drama, historical drama. But I think a lot of these movies do. Because um, I think this one is mainly focused on the story itself and not necessarily all of the accurate details. But there are a lot of details in it that are accurate. Uh, and that's Gangs in New York, mm-hmm. 2002. Um, directed by Martin Scorsese starring Daniel Day-Lewis starring Leonardo DiCaprio um, I love this movie and it's it's like super long <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's, it's I, I'm not sure if it's quite four hours long I think it's like three hours and 47 minutes it has two parts um, I've always loved this movie I love watching it every time I get the chance to see it because it feels like uh, it, it feels like it's important I like when stories take movies take the time to tell their story and there aren't many that um, do it to this degree. And I just think Daniel Day-Lewis is phenomenal in it. And as he is in everything he's in, Um, Lincoln would be another historical drama starring Daniel Day-Lewis. There Will Be Blood is not necessarily a historical drama, but based on like real people. Um, So I think that having him in it adds, way to and obviously the last of the Mohegans too. So it's just kind of what he does. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah gangs of New York I highly recommend watching if you haven't seen it's about the five points in five points in Brooklyn um and the different factions of people who came together and their ability to get along and their ability to fight and it's the true story. There were massive riots in Brooklyn in this neighborhood uh in the 1800s when this happened. And it's cool to see it played out on screen. Like I said, they obviously take license with some of the things, but mm-hmm. that's just what these kind of movies do typically. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so I'm gonna recommend one uh, 2005 movie Munich mm. uh, starring Eric Bana and Daniel Craig actually. And this is a movie about uh, an incident that that doesn't get a lot of historical play anymore, but it was um, in 1972 at the Munich Olympics, um, a group of Palestinian terrorists uh, posed as athletes and broke into uh, the athletes' dormitory and took hostage. Um, I think it was the Israeli wrestling team and their coaches, and ended up killing a bunch of them. And that's that you see that sequence play out at the beginning of the movie. But the movie primarily is about the team that gets assembled, to track down and eliminate all those responsible for that, for that fate, and it's a really, really compelling movie. As as they're going around trying to decide um, what is appropriate, what is not appropriate, you know, what is, you know, what is justice versus what is revenge. Uh, there's a lot of that that plays out. Um, I think uh, the movie occasionally, you know, similarly to you know what you said, I think sometimes. Uh, the conclusions are very Hollywood and that I think they they don't they draw the conclusions that Hollywood wants them to draw sometimes as opposed to what the actual uh, people uh, who would have been living through this would have drawn. So I think that that's a downfall of the movie, but it's a fascinating story. and there's some really, really compelling scenes. There's one scene where where they're posing, as um, I forget what they were posing as, but they were they were not posing as Israelis, and they end up staying in a room with uh, a bunch of people who are supposed to be their enemies, and they're forced to like stay there overnight and interact with each other. It's a really fascinating scene. There's a lot of tension built in there, uh, but it's really well done overall. So check out Munich.
1: Yep, I agree. That was a good one.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that is the show, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Film for Fans. Make sure you rate, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. And check out filmfans.com. We've got a bunch of articles on there, including a recent one where we recommended uh, things from Prime and Netflix. Uh, So check that out, as well as uh, our best of our favorite movie cars, which which was a fun
1: one that we did recently. So check out filmforfans.com. Until next time, enjoy the movies.